Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how metabolism changes a lot more slowly with age than we thought, why waking up on the wrong side of the bed is totally real, and why you should put a painkiller in your pocket if you're exposed to radiation. Let's satisfy some curiosity. One of the sad truths of getting older is that your metabolism slows down and you just can't eat like you used to. But is that really true? Actually, not in the way you think, according to surprising new data from an international team of researchers. Your metabolism does slow throughout your life, but the researchers found no change in metabolism between the ages of 20 and 60. To find this out, the researchers recruited more than 6,600 people from 29 countries across the world. The age range was huge, from one week to 95 years old. The researchers used a technique called the doubly labeled water method to keep track of all the biological energy each participant used during the study. That includes everything from breathing and pumping blood to doing dishes and dancing. They found that humans go through four distinct stages of metabolism over their lives. In the first year of life, a baby's metabolism shoots through the roof. It starts off by using energy at about the same rate as its mom, adjusting for their difference in body size. By the end of its first year, a baby is burning calories about 50% faster than that. That might not seem like a surprise, given that a well-fed baby triples in weight during that period. But the researchers say an infant's metabolism significantly outpaces its growth. That's probably because infants are developing in other important ways that scientists haven't figured out yet. The second stage lasts from age 1 into your 20s. Metabolism decreases by about 3% per year during that phase. Surprisingly, teenage growth spurts didn't come with an increased metabolism. But it's what happens next that's really surprising. Between your 20s and your 60s, it's crickets. The researchers saw no change on average. That is, except for pregnant women, who burn a lot of additional calories on behalf of their babies. It's only in the final phase of life that metabolism actually begins to slow. Starting around 60, the average person burns about 0.7% fewer calories each year. The researchers say that's because cells start slowing down. In practice, That means a person in their 90s needs about 25% fewer calories than they did in middle age. But if that's true, then why do so many people seem to gain weight in middle age? The researchers say it's more likely to be changes in lifestyle than changes in cell biology. That should come as good news. We've got more control than we thought. If you're prone to having a bad day, then we might be able to help. Because there's research into how the way you start your day can have a lasting impact on everything that happens after you get out of bed. Here's the story, which we originally ran in 2018 and remastered just for you. Ashley, do you ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Yeah, I do. Meaning like you start your day bad and then you just kind of think it's all downhill. You know, it's nice to have like a good home life where that doesn't happen that much, but it has definitely happened in the past. Yes. Strongly recommend against checking your email or Twitter. Yes. First thing in the morning. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get, which is why you should probably not check your phone for a little while after you wake up. I say 
save it for after the shower. We're talking about this because we wrote about a new study that found that your mood when you wake up in the morning has a major impact on the rest of your day. So the whole adage of waking up on the wrong side of the bed, it kind of rings true. And that's actually both good and bad, according to the researchers that conducted this study. On one hand, humans are really good at predicting what's going to happen over the course of a day, and that can be pretty useful when it comes to preparing for the worst. But that ability to predict the worst can also hurt your daily memory function, whether those stressful events happen or not. So if you wake up and you think you're going to have a bad day, and you're right, then okay, you've made it easy on yourself since you were ready for the bad day. But if you incorrectly think you're going to have a bad day, like really there's no reason your day should be bad, but you think it's going to be bad when you wake up, then you're making yourself a bad day from scratch. It's like, it's not because you had a bad day that made the day bad. It's because you thought you were going to have a bad day that made the day bad. (laughs) In fact, the study found that anticipating stress in the early morning had an even greater effect on working memory than actual stress did. That's right. If you wake up feeling like you're going to have a bad time, your brain doesn't work as well throughout the day. Don't worry, though. There's a way to get over this. Anticipating stress the night before doesn't have much effect on working memory. So get ready for your stressful day the night before. You might even sleep better if you think about how stressful tomorrow is going to be rather than waiting until the morning, according to other research. Give it a shot and see if it helps. So I guess the takeaway is if you think you're going to have a bad time, You're going to have a bad time. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right. This probably isn't going to happen to you. But if you're ever near a nuclear power plant meltdown, an industrial accident, or the detonation of a dirty bomb, you and everyone around you could be exposed to dangerous radiation. In this nightmare scenario, how would you be able to tell medical staff how much radiation you'd been exposed to? Well, the simple solution might be sitting in your medicine cabinet right now. To be clear, radiation exposure is rare, and events like these are really unlikely. But emergency response teams still need to prepare in case the worst does happen. To effectively respond to a health emergency like this, teams need to know who has been exposed to radiation and how much radiation they were exposed to. The problem is, radiation sickness can be invisible at first. You might feel fine in the beginning, only to experience serious symptoms weeks later. To know how much radiation you were exposed to in the moment, you would need what's called a dosimeter. And most of us don't have one of those lying around. Luckily, science has got your back. It turns out that you might already be carrying the perfect radiation sensor with you. I promise I'll tell you what it is. You see, radiation smashes atoms apart and knocks out their electrons. These atomic impacts keep happening for a long time, which means that scientists can measure them. They do that using specific wavelengths of light. When blue light hits a substance that's been exposed to radiation, the substance emits UV light in a phenomenon called optically stimulated luminescence. The more radiation the substance was exposed to, the more intense that UV light. Scientists can use this technique to create a kind of radiation measuring stick. Scientists have suggested many different everyday items that could be used for this, like smartphone components, paper money, credit cards, and clothing. But the problem is, they need to be destroyed in order to be used as a dosimeter. 
So you really need something cheap and widely available. Which is why scientists have suggested a new possibility. What about medication? That's right. Scientists have shown that common pain medications like Advil, Tylenol, or aspirin can be used as dosimeters. Not only are they cheap enough to crush, but they're standardized medications with a known chemical composition. That means the dosages can be compared directly. They're also usually sealed in light-protecting packaging. Hopefully, none of us is ever in a situation where this becomes important. But it's always worthwhile to be prepared, especially with a solution that's so simple. So keep some pain pills in your pocket, just in case. Let's recap the main things we learned today, just in case you forgot any of them. Starting with the fact that your metabolism doesn't actually slow down in middle age. That's according to a huge new study that measured energy expenditure in thousands of people, from babies to 95-year-olds. Babies had the fastest metabolisms, followed by teenagers, but then all change ceased between the ages of 20 to 60, and the metabolism didn't start slowing again until after age 60. The researchers say that lifestyle, not biology, is more to blame for middle-aged weight gain. I mean, I guess that makes sense. You know, when you're a teenager in college, you might play team sports. I mean, I didn't, but some people do. And, you know, you do a lot more active things. And then as you get older, it just becomes more socially acceptable to do low-key sitting things. I think workplaces need to do it like high school, where every 50 minutes or so, a bell rings and you get up and you have to get around and socialize for five to 10 minutes. How cool would that be if in the workplace there was like a socialized bell and it's like, nope, got to stop what you're doing for 10 minutes and then just meander through the hallways and talk to people. I mean, this is assuming you are in the workplace, which many people are, but I'm certainly not. Neither are you. But I kind of hate that. I mean, it's like sometimes things take more than 50 minutes to concentrate on. No, the Pomodoro technique is you take a break every like 20 minutes. And that's good. That's helped my productivity. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I don't I don't want my boss telling me exactly when I can work. That just fills me with dread. Well, I don't want my body to decay <laughs> and for me to let myself go and not be able to climb a flight of stairs without totally running out of breath. Not that these things are all happening to me with increasing rapidity. <laughs> <sighs> I'm going to go for a run after this, Ashley. Good, good. I'm probably not. You should. I know. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and we learned that it really is possible to wake up on the wrong side of the bed, just like Cody did, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Humans are good at predicting what might happen during the day, and that's a good thing. But you don't want to always prepare for the worst because your day won't always be the worst. Research has found that just anticipating stress can affect your working memory more than actual stress. So try not to let yourself get worked up about something before that something even happens. Boy, this is a good lesson for me. I recently have been getting very worked up about all sorts of things I don't know what my deal is lately, but uh, yeah, I got to cool it and be like, it's, it's not here. It's not happening. Don't worry about it. Just go with the flow. I mean, if you need to, you can block me from Slack for the day. <laughs> like, I get it. I love, 
I do I do get like a like a jolt of adrenaline when I get a chat from you that says pedantic question. And I go, oh, here we go. <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> yeah, you did like two days ago. <laughs> I think I meant I didn't mean pedantic like. I was going to correct a small error you made. I was seeking clarification regarding a script or an edit that I thought a pedantic listener might make a comment about. So it was an attempt to protect us from pedantic feedback. Understandable. (laughs) It makes no difference. (laughs) (laughs) That's still very stupid. No, no, no. You should do it. I'm just saying. It fills me with dread. (laughs) Good. Oh, boy. At least, you know, the end of most of our conversations will result in me sending a funny GIF. Yeah. Usually, what is the one that you always send? Let me see. The little girl waving by and then going down the slide backwards. Yes, that's it. That's the one. (laughs) Yep. Just look up OK Bye Slide in your GIF search, GIF search, and uh, it's a good time. I appreciate you being inclusive in your GIF language. Sure. I think we can all just jet along. I see what you did there. Thanks. We also learned that in case of the very unlikely event that you're exposed to radiation, it's a good idea to keep some painkillers on you. Scientists have found that by crushing common pain medications like Advil, Tylenol, and aspirin, they can measure how much radiation the tablet and the person holding it was exposed to. Pain meds are an important addition to any nuclear bunker. My parents have a bomb shelter in their house. They do? Yeah, like full concrete cement, you know, like several inches thick. Did they build it or did they buy it that way? No, they bought it that way. It was built in the Cold War. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, they use it as storage. It's uh Yeah, storage. They store <laughs> canned foods and weapons. <laughs> it's actually quite the opposite. They store plants in it and oh. pots for, you know gardening. Mm, yeah, to to help re-establish life on earth. Mhm. Yeah, it's like it's like a seed bank, really. Yeah, exactly. Well. <laughs> Today's writers were Grant Curran, Ruben Westmus, and Brianna Brownell. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. Going us a gen tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I take back my appreciation of you. <laughs> <laughs> And until then, stay curious.